Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Startup Confessionals, where we interview startup founders and entrepreneurs in the Middle East and Africa. We'll learn about some of the biggest lessons these founders discovered on their journey, from the personal to the professional, and share how they keep themselves motivated. Today's episode is with Rami Darwish, the CEO and founder of Aero Labs. Rami's a technology industry veteran who has 20 plus years of experience in the sector. And before founding Aero Labs in 2011, Rami actually held key technical and business roles in leading global technology corporations, Dell and Hewlett Packard. Aero Labs provides a solution to make deskless work simpler, better and more productive for frontline workers. And we'll get into their flagship solution called MIMS. And Aerolabs' technology basically makes remote workers and companies more efficient, dispelling the notion that technology threatens non-office jobs. So welcome to the show, Rami. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, it's great to be here and it's great to, to, to talk about this. Obviously, I'm passionate about the subject, so it's cool to share my thoughts. Yeah. So we're super excited to uh, get into the details of your journey. And I think, you know, for the audience who might be new to Aero Labs, can you briefly share your value proposition in your words with our audience? Sure. I mean, it's it's actually quite simple. It's making deskless work um, better, more productive and simpler. And, you know, some people wonder, what is, you know, what do you mean by deskless work? Well, it simply means people that don't work behind a desk, which also happen to be Um, 80% of the global workforce. So only 20% of us work in office buildings or in offices. Um, So that means, you know, utility workers, oil and gas workers, um, telco, et cetera, logistics. So you name it. Um, And, you know, this very, very important group of people has not not had access to software and technology that makes sense and been left with, kind of doing business the same way for the past 40 years using pen and paper and, you know, Excel sheets and walkie talkies and just no modern communication tools, no productivity tools. Um, And I just, I just, you know, came across this problem and I I decided to do something about it. Oh, got it. And Rami, can you actually walk us through a use case or an example and maybe talk about your flagship solution and how that works, just so our audience can really visualize uh, the entire kind of product by flow? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, um, indirectly people, you know, feel the pain of this problem on a daily basis. They just don't, they just don't realize it. But imagine, imagine you're at home and you call your local internet provider and you say, I want to, I want to install internet to my new home, or I want to upgrade my internet service, or I want to move, I'm shifting apartments, whatever it may be. Right. And you get this, okay, we'll get back to you. And then maybe, maybe a couple of hours or sometimes a couple of days later, somebody will call you back and say, oh, listen, you know, a technician will be with you, you know, on Tuesday between nine and five. I mean, as if like, okay, your whole life is on hold. You have to wait from nine to five at your place. I mean, that's just crazy. And it drives people, frustrates people. And then, you know, on the day you kind of, you're sitting there, you're looking at your clock, you're hoping, okay, when is this person going to show up? You might put in a couple of calls. Where is the guy? And then eventually somebody shows up and does your, you know, your connection. I think it's, and imagine now that problem in so many other industries and in utility and oil and gas and a lot of other logistics and delivery and all these types of industries. So what 
MEMS does is it provides technology automation using AI using an AI engine to streamline the entire process, automate the whole workflow from you calling I want service um, or I want to install my new internet to that technician showing up to your house at a at a time um, at a time limit that's much smaller, much narrower, like ten to twelve or something like that. And getting that answer immediately and not having to wait for them to call you back and let you know when the person's going to come, et cetera, et cetera. And the way we do that is MIMS automates the entire process. So when you call to book, um, our systems are aware of the availability, the schedules of technicians, where they are, where they're going to be on in each day. So our system is able to predict an exact um, time slot for the service that you're asking for. And then... Once you confirm, you say, yep, that's that's good. I like that appointment. Um, once you confirm that, our systems then automatically collect data and information from different systems and prepares what we call the technician's work order. And then the technician accesses this information in real time on his mobile app where he can see all the details of the work that he needs to do. He has live access to all the information of, of, of the service that he's going to come and install for you. He knows where to get the equipment from. He knows what IP addresses to enter. And then he knows exactly what time he's supposed to be there. And moreover, um, the software automatically optimizes his route. So it puts for him a route schedule that makes sense and it's optimized so he can get from one home to the next home um, in the time slots that are committed. And then he's able to come to your place, do your job, click a couple of buttons on the app, and he's done. No filling papers, no manual work, no administrative work. It's done right then and there. Wow. That is amazing. And so are your customers kind of big companies or individual contractors or a mix of both? So actually, we we tackle the enterprise um, layer of uh, the market. So we typically work with companies that ha- that could have anywhere from 1,000 to 5,000 to 10,000 um, and beyond um, staff uh, in the field doing work. Got it. Okay. And uh, Rami, why did you start this company? Can you walk us through how it changed from version one in 2011 to where it is today? Yeah. So basically, um, I started this company because I... I came across this problem. I used to architect, I used to be a solutions architect for um, citywide projects. And when we used to do that, you know, I had access to tons of technology in the back office or what we call, you know, the command center, right? So I can pull data, I can visualize data, I can put things in a common operating picture. But then as soon as we needed information or data from the field, from the people in the field, from the front line, everything all of a sudden went manual oh, okay, I don't have a way of communicating with this person digitally. I have to make a phone call or send a piece of paper down. And then, um, you know, these frontline workers and all the important work that they do, um, they have to spend time writing stuff on paper, which is takes them away from doing, you know, what they do best, their core job. They shouldn't be spending time doing administrative paperwork. So it, it drove me nuts you know, long story short, I decided to, well, this is my calling. This is this is a problem I want to solve. And it's a big global problem. It's not like a local problem. It's not a problem just in uh, Middle East. We, we solve this problem today in the United States, in Europe, in Southeast Asia. We have customers across the globe. So 
in 2011, when I, I decided to do this, something about this problem, and I really, you know, started architect, architecting the software um, from the ground up, um, I decided that there was nothing, you know, in the market that was really fulfilling the calling. And I started designing from scratch. And how did the pandemic impact your business? I imagine that there were probably some changes over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think the, I mean, I think the pandemic highlighted how important this sector is um, and our ability to communicate. I mean, when people were sheltering at home, um, these telco workers had to still deliver the work that they do. Internet had to stay up, right? Otherwise, nobody can work. So we sheltered at home. They had to continue working um, in the front line. Same applies in healthcare, same applies in your utility, your gas, your power, you know. These teams had to spend, you know, double and triple the amount of um, time working um, due to the pandemic. And the big gap of disconnect between digital transformation in the back office and almost virtually nothing in the front line became very, very apparent. And businesses from that point in time started thinking, okay, we need to digitally transform. We, we, we need to, we, what if this something like this happens again? We need to be able to communicate with our teams. And, you know, tools like Zoom and, you know, et cetera, they work great if you're, you know, sitting behind the desk. That doesn't work so well when you're out in the field and you're, you're you know, you're installing fiber cable. The tool set has to be different. Um, and I think companies really, you know, because of COVID in some sense, started really investing in the front line, which I'm thrilled about because it's about time um, that frontline got access to modern technology and modern tools. Wow, so fascinating. And I want to actually go back to your moment that you realized that you had product market fit. I know it was 10 years ago in 2011, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that that moment is really a big moment for a lot of founders and a lot of founding teams when they realize that you know, there, you realized obviously before when you were working as a solutions architect that there was a, a market for it. But I think there's it's different to know that there's a problem versus actually creating a solution that customers want. So I'm really curious, you know, when was that moment that you realized that you had a, a product that customers wanted and, um, and how did that go? Like, how did that experience kind of... Uh, evolve for you yeah so i mean i think it, it was it it wasn't like um it, it it was in stages if you will so you know we, i started designing a product in 2011 but i didn't really have a product till about a year later and then it was really i mean it wasn't even beta it was like i don't know what to call it but it was something <laughs> it was it was <laughs> early early access yeah it was something and we took it to one of our early adopters um one of the companies that that one of the large enterprises that i know and i took it there and i'm like listen you know i'm looking to solve this problem what do you think and they they got really excited and they were gracious enough to um, become an early adopter but more importantly they allowed us to really spend a lot of time um, learning exactly what happens in the field and what happens in field operations. So we spent um, a considerable amount of time um, learning, um, spending time with the frontline, literally going with them on the job runs, 
looking at what they're doing, interviewing them, understanding their needs, and really building um, as we are deploying in this in this early adopter. I think the 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 true market fit moment for me was somewhere around 2014 when when after the early all the different early adopters we worked with in 2014 um, there was a um, a new company um, that called us and they said hey we've we've heard that you guys have something to to um, digitize frontline workers and I'm like yeah and they're like well we want to we want to meet with you we want to have a, we, we want to understand how the solution works and then we went there and we presented to them and they were very impressed with what we have and they signed the deal with us. And for me, I think that was the moment where it was, um, a, you know, the customer coming to us and asking for what we had um, with no referral or anything like that. And I think that's for me when I realized, okay, we have a product market uh, fit at this point. Beautiful to to hear that moment um, in 2014. And also, I think it just reminds aspiring founders that it takes time really to get momentum. Uh, a lot of people just assume that it's like a turn on the lights <laughs> um, and, and the momentum just like shows up. So I, I appreciate that story. And I also want to double click on the financing piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, how did you, did you start the company bootstrapping it using your own funds or, um, you know, how did you kind of create the company in the initial stages? And also, can you walk us through how your funding rounds may have impacted the, your priorities, uh, as a founder? Sure. Um, I mean, quite a bit to unpack there, but I mean, you know, just to some of the, maybe the listeners, they understand the dynamics of Mina. And, you know, when I started, you know, there were really, there was no ecosystem. There was no VC ecosystem. So I, you know, I was kind of, and the, even the thinking wasn't there of, you know, venture capital and, and you know, funding rounds and, and going through that process because that ecosystem um, was just not non-existent at that time. So I started out actually building a company. Um, and obviously bootstrapping um, and building a business and building uh, a software that makes sense. So I started out that way. And um, it wasn't until years later. Um, so we built the business. We got the early adopters. We got then our first, um, uh, you know, uh, market fit clients, if you will, and we started really to scale and, and to grow small and conservative, but growing. And then um, we did the seed round. We raised $3 million on, we talked to, um, you know, their you know, amazing partner that we have. And we, you know, we agreed with them. We said, look, you know, we're raising this money to take the company to the stage where it becomes globally scalable. Our ambition is not is not to 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 solve this problem at a MENA level or a local level. Our aspiration is to solve this problem globally. And um, and they understood, you know, our vision and they understood that uh, we needed to build um, a couple of things. We had to put our infrastructure in place correctly. We had to we had some key hires to put in place. So in order for the company to 
you know, get ready for global scale, we had to, we were missing, you know, quite a few things. And we invested the first, the funds from the first round of 3 million to do that. And then um, in this year, we raised an additional $5 million. And that, that, that money is earmarked for uh, global scale and global traction, which within the first, you know, six months of that, we we scaled to three new countries, onboarded numerous amounts of um, enterprise clients, and really from this point starting to really take off into um, uh, our global aspiration. Wow, congrats. And congrats on the latest round of funding. That's exciting. <laughs> so Rami, um, I want to talk about whether there was a person or a mentor who may have been influential on your path uh, over the last, it's been 10 years um, since founding the company. I imagine that there's a lot of people that you met that helped you, but is there any one person or two people that kind of stick out in a, in a you know, in your mind? Yeah, it's a, it, look, it's a, it's a great question. Um, to be honest with you, look, it's, it's, I can't really, say it's one person like um in my experience you know and and definitely i've I've witnessed the same thing with friends of mine that are entrepreneurs you know you 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 have different pillars of people around you that kind of take you through um the journey um definitely family is very very important and having your family understand kind of like what you're doing because the hours are crazy the pay is bad <laughs> so so <it's, laughs> so having you know your family support your vision um is critically important um for an entrepreneur so i think you know without that support um you know it would have been very very difficult so that's i think you know throughout the 10 years uh, my family has been there for me. And then I think um, I've definitely had uh, different um, people along the way that has helped shape the vision, whether from a technology perspective or a commercial perspective. Um, and they all contributed at critical parts of, of the journey. You know, they all contributed in different ways to different parts of the journey that helped us get to the next part. So, you know, I wouldn't, it would be unfair to say it was one person. There's definitely a two, three people that have kind of played a critical role in all of this. Um, and they each played it in a different part of the journey. And I think that's important because I want to, I can't stress enough the importance of diversity, diversity of opinion for a CEO, entrepreneur, founder, um, to get really a, a diverse set of um, opinions and advice. Super critical. Right. And, you know, one thing I've heard from founders, um, or at least people that work at startups is that oftentimes if the CEO says something, then everyone sort of runs in one direction. So how do you, how do you sort of balance, you know, having your strong opinion, right. And like the, and being a visionary and also taking feedback, like how do you sort of balance that or even ensure that people have the space to share their ideas? I think you have to, you know, I mean, you, you, you gotta get people, you gotta build consensus. If you're going to be successful at this in my, in my humble opinion is that you've, you've got to almost infect people with your vision, right. And, and build consensus and have them believe what you believe. Um, because once you know that they believe in the vision, 
it becomes a lot easier to give to for you to listen to their opinions without a bias. And that's really what it comes down to, right? It, you know, as a CEO, I've always taken decisions um, only after I've given every you know every key team member a chance to say his opinion unfettered, just the way they see it, right? Because I trust them, I trust my team. They believe in the vision. They they believe in the company. They believe in what we're building. So they don't have a bias in the opinion that they're giving, and that's what you want as a CEO: an unbiased opinion from each um, team member um, that's responsible for whatever area, whether it's the tech area, the commercial area, the product service, the customer service, etc. Got it. Got it. And uh, Rami, what about some of the sacrifices that? you made on this journey? I mean, you spoke a little bit about the long hours and sometimes the bad pay, especially in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, but, you know, from an kind of like a personal level, like what does it really take to be a founder? Like, what do you think is sort of behind the scenes? Like what are, and how do you also motivate yourself when days are tough? Yeah. I mean, it takes everything uh, in a, in a sense. Um, because you're, you know, the thing about entrepreneurs is, you know, you're creating something that doesn't exist and willing it into reality. Right. And, and, you know, and whether you like it or not, there's a lot of forces against that. Right. So, you know, market fit, commercialization, you know, finances to keep going. There's a lot of stuff that's working against you. So um, in a way, you know, um, you've got to have just unbelievable persistence, right, in in what you believe. You've got to have patience um, in what you're doing. Most importantly, you got to have the right people around you because this is not, you know, you need need a team um, that you trust and work with uh, day in and day out. You know, you spend more time with this team than you you spend with your family. You spend nine, 10, 12 hours a day with your team. So um, you need the right people uh, to be around you. You need the group, um, the correct group to advise you. You need to have unbelievable resilience and persistence to pursue your, your vision. Um, and you really need to, you know, have that, how should I call it, have that uh, factor of, um, I can make a difference. I want to make a difference. I can do something to make somebody's life better, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what drives me. Um, I look at delivery drivers that deliver, you know, packages or services or something, you know, and if I see one with a with a piece of paper, that that keeps me pushing forward, right? I have to solve this problem. Why is why doesn't they have? Why doesn't this guy have like a mobile app to get all the information? So that's what that's what drives me. And I can I can like literally talk about this um, for the next hour, but just in the <laughs> in the interest of time, <laughs> I'm just gonna suffice. That's so beautiful, and I love that there's this whole kind of layer of the workforce that a lot of people don't talk about, and I, I really love that your mission and vision seems so focused on alleviating a lot of their pain points uh, and making their lives more productive and efficient. So that's amazing. So Rami, what has surprised you the most on this journey? If you could think about the last 10 years, what's sort of been like one of your biggest ahas or biggest moments of surprise? 
um, that it gets easier as you grow. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, it doesn't that, no um it doesn't it really doesn't it's you know it's you know you you start out you know in, in the beginning you know you start out you know with all the challenges of building a product right and and you know building a product is more than just coding something you know you you, a, you know a software program and a product are two completely different things but you know you've you've got to build a product Right. And that's your first set of challenges. And then you get into, well, I've, you know, all the challenges of selling it to someone. And if you're like me, you're a, you're a, you know, a B2B and into the enterprise sector, you're talking, you're talking to these mammoth corporations and you're walking in at the time we were like a two man operation and you're saying, Hey, you know, I want to stick my, my, my newly built thing in your tech stack. The next thing sitting next to you is like, you know, a big fortune 500 blue chip technology <laughs> and you're trying to convince these people. Right. So, so you go through those challenges and then you, you go through the challenges of funding, hiring a team, um, scaling, building processes into the company, um, governance, you know, and then, you, you know, like me, if you're like me, you're getting into globalizations, tackling different markets. So, you know, you think, I think at the beginning of the journey, I always thought, oh, you know, once we sell to a, once we sell to the first like 10 customers, things are going to get easier. Uh, I was surprised then. I still get surprised today. <laughs> oh, that's uh, really important advice because I think a lot of people assume that it does or that there's a kind of a, a different um, point in the journey that you can relax. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you're growing, I mean, there's all these new pain points. So and Rami, so we're coming to time, but I wanted to know, like, what is a book that you're reading now or that you may have read in the past that has really inspired you that the audience can go check out? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I think um, I read a book recently called The Power of Diversity, and I really love this book. Um, you know, this this book is... Um, has been an inspiration to me because it really shows um, with, you know, on, I would say, unquestionable evidence how diversity and inclusion um, just make you a better company with better business results and better product and better customer service and better success. Um, I can share with you, um, you know, some more details um, offline if you'd like to, um, you know, get that information out there. But I love this book. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 something that I think every CEO should read, especially as, you know, you grow, you hire more people, you know, diversity of opinion becomes super important. Mm, I love that. That's also a very big theme in Silicon Valley right now. I think actually globally, like diversity and inclusion and how do we have diverse representation at the product table? Because a lot of products are sort of built with a narrow category, uh, POV. So I love, love, love that you recommended that book. I'm going to go read it. No, it's really, it's really great. And it's something I we practice in our company. I'll give you a little... Um, fact about our company so every other person is from a different nationality in our labs and a different background and a different everything wow that's amazing and so do you build that into the hiring and recruiting uh, uh processes like how do you how do you create that at, at the company 
Yeah. So, I mean, we, we, you know, we, we, we build it in the ethos of, of the business of, um, you know, um, need, wanting diversity um, and uh, putting people, um, very, very diverse people from different backgrounds, different, um, you know, uh, experiences, uh, et cetera, into leadership positions. So, um, so we make sure that, you know, we, we really have a very inclusive and diverse um, um, information to help us make our decisions and, uh, you know, hopefully make the right decisions. So we really built that into, into the company. If I think of my executive leadership team, it's made up of six people and each one is from a completely different nationality, background, everything. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so happy to hear it. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, we really, you know, we practice what we were preaching. Amazing. Amazing. And yeah, there's so much data on how diverse companies actually have better productivity. So it's a win-win. It's just so funny that a lot of people are not really taking that point very seriously. So I, I love that you're doing that. So Rami, are there any resources that you can point folks to in order to learn more about you and your company? Where can we follow you? Sure. I mean, um, you, you can, you know, our, definitely our website, www.aerosecure.com or um, our, you know, LinkedIn channel, our Twitter channel, um, uh, definitely tons of information there. And, you know, if you don't want to bother and you're too tired, just, just write Aerolab software in a, in your, in your Google search box and you'll get like tons of information about us. Awesome. Okay, great. And we'll leave that in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Rami. This has been great. And I really appreciate the visionary leader that you are. It's, it's very obvious that you are paying attention to culture and kind of like where society is uh, and also growing your company on a global scale is not a small feat to do. Um, you know, so uh, congratulations on all your success. I'm very impressed. Thank you so much. I was, was you know, so, I'm so glad to be here. Um, thank you for allowing me to share my thoughts. I hope some of it uh, provides some benefit to someone somewhere. Yes. Yes, of course. Um, so thank you again, Rami. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening to Startup Confessionals.